Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Sharpen Perspectives morning. podcast episode nine. It is uh, September twenty seventh. Again, we are. I think Wednesday is going to become our new recording day. It used to be Monday, but I think it's Wednesday now. Yeah, um, a lot less uh, pressure. I feel like doing it in the middle of the week, even though we only have you know twelve hours or whatever until it drops. It's crazy when the uh, work day, <laughs> your work week kicks off on a Monday. Just how quickly like the day can consume you. You know what I mean? There's a lot of stuff. <clears throat> catching up from everything on the weekend, even though we're working usually on the weekends, our vendors aren't and most people aren't. So. Yeah, but we're here. Um, yeah, I just actually was out in the shop earlier today uh, and then I dipped out to handle some stuff and uh, now I'm back here for the, the rest of the afternoon, thankfully. Um, yeah, it's been an interesting week. I've been struggling to uh, get back on track after Maker Syndicate. Um, I think you're in a similar situation. Definitely. Yeah. This past week has been uh, pretty chill. I mean, we've had a lot of stuff going on with the kids and um, this morning we went to Hudson school. There was an award assembly and he got an award at school and had like all the, the whole school was out there and uh, he got an award, which is pretty sweet. So we had uh, parent teacher conferences last week and they gave us a heads up like, Hey, make sure you're here. So that was really cool. He was stoked on that. Nice. Uh, what was the award for? It was, uh, it was for, um, we just got it, dude, and I forgot. It's a. It's basically he got an award for um, excellence in. Dude, I'm drawing a blank. A total yeah, blank. Out of the year over here, right? Um, dude, I literally yeah, just got. I just got back, dude. Excellence and effort is what the award was for. So, um, yeah, they said he because he's in that DLI program, that dual language immersion, um, mm-hmm. and the teacher basically said, like, dude, he tries so freaking hard in class you know, learning Spanish and he's coming home every day and he's teaching us stuff, you know? So, and Brittany and I actually just re-signed up for a Spanish class because through his school, we get um, free online courses through like the Fresno State University. Um, So we just signed up for a bunch of classes. So we're taking Spanish right now too, but it's cool because he comes home and he teaches us Spanish and then we're learning stuff, even though I took it in high school. Uh, Caliente, dude. See? Yeah. Yeah, dude. (laughs) I guess down there it makes sense. Like, yeah, you know, there's probably just as many Spanish-speaking folks as there are English-speaking folks, so you might as well if you can, yeah. you know, not a bad idea up here. They don't, you know, we don't speak Amish or anything. You know, it's all yeah, all English up here. But um, yeah, yeah, that's no, cool, that's dude. Cool. I mean, that's sweet for yeah. him. We have a Campbell just got an award last week. It's called Bee of the Week because he goes to school at a school called Grandview, and their mascot is the bees, mm-hmm. and so they pick like a kid in each grade I don't know, every week and just like give them an award be of the week for, you know, outstanding excellence and effort or whatever, like you talked about. I don't think it like is defined by any one characteristic, but it seems like once a year, each of my kids, you know, gets that award and they're all fired up and stuff. And it's always cool to be able to support the kids, you know, with even small accommodations, commendations like that, you know, just to make them feel special. But that's very cool that they had like a whole ceremony for him. That's pretty yeah, rad. That's rad. Yeah, it was like an hour. I mean, there was a bunch of kids. There was like four or five kids, six <coughs> kids from each each grade that got one or each class. So it was nice. cool. It was like an hour long, but yeah, it was it was nice. But yeah, so this past week, um, I didn't do really much on the knives. I started doing some of the finish work on the remaining 10 that I have. Um, but that's kind of what I'm on today. So like past week, we went to Disneyland a couple of times and we just hung out and kind of chilled with the family. I'm like, I don't have a hard deadline for anything now. So it's hard for me to really push and stay out here till like one or two in the morning. Like I was before the show. Not necessary. 
it's not necessary, but I definitely need to keep up some momentum. So uh, like yesterday I was out here, I was working on some stuff and then uh, today I'm going to be doing the same thing. So I'm going to nice. try and do, I'm going to try and drop some of them on Saturday. Sweet. So kind of first announcement on here, but uh, Facebook group too, I think is going to be the first mm-hmm. spot to do it. And yeah. Yeah. Nice man. I mean, it makes sense to do it in cool. Facebook group, continue to bolster that. Um, mm-hmm. I think what's most important right now is that you're allocating some of the cash that you made to like acquiring what you need for the next run. Like even if you're for not sure. finishing what you're doing right now, like getting the front end work done so that when you do finish these, you can segue right into like a fresh batch. I think that like, that's what's most important. I'm kind of trying to do that now. Um, just re-upping on stuff like hardware and, you know, mm-hmm. anything that like I depleted myself of in, in show preparation, like while I'm kind of handling shop logistics, I'm trying to at least keep, the packages rolling in and, you know, try and make sure that I'm ready for whatever I do next. Um, I actually just started a bunch. I have <clears throat> well, like six or seven transients over there that I'm working on actively. I have all the parts finished for them. Uh, blades are even heat treated, surface ground and hard milled. I just have to assemble them and then start to finish. Those are like my last now three remaining book orders. And then like four other ones that I just had told guys I would make for them over the, however long that I haven't even taken a deposit for, but just, you know, just work to do and then i actually started making a bunch of 2.9 transient parts also um those are actually for like friends just like like knives that aren't even really being paid for they're just like knives that i had told friends over the years local friends for whatever reason like hey yeah look like love to make you a knife so i'm just trying to like take the time to like water the grass a little bit with uh with regard to knocking some of those out for guys um it's crazy how fast time peels off, man. It's like the show was a week and a half ago, and now I already have this. I'm leaving on October 10th to go to a wedding in Montana. I'll be there for five or six days. I haven't even bought my plane ticket yet. Like, yeah, I'm fucking behind the eight ball on it. Um, and I'm the best man in the guy's wedding, so what does Shit. that tell you? Um, so I got to get that knocked out. But in, in the meantime, like, I'm trying to wrap up. I have, like, 30 Mac knives over there that, like, I want to finish and ship on October 1st. Like, I... Still have to make clips, but spacers, frames, and blades are all finished. Um, and then, like I said, I'm making 2.9 parts over here. And I'm trying to get the uh, um, the logistics figured out now for this run of transients that I'm going to be doing where I'm towards the end of November. I'm shooting to be able to drop five to eight transients a week. So I'm trying to get like all the logistics in place as those blades, you know, are coming to completion, like to have all the frames and everything ready so that I can be like transitioning to being prepared for those weekly drops. So I'm kind of trying to think about that. Um, you know, there's a lot of logistics involved there with regard to like payment processing and like, you know, website being able to like, whether it's Shopify or, or whatever else you're using for distribution of knives, trying to, trying to like dial in a, a more reliable way to, uh, be able to sell and then distribute those knives like where it's not just me doing dm shit and paypal friends and family transactions you know what i mean i want to have something more legit so i've been working with a guy um a, a, a buddy of mine for the last like six months trying to get that all hammered out we have about to activate you know i have to like activate the website with um like live products that like the payment processor can go through and purchase and i had to like verify with them like provide receipts for inventory for uh for materials purchases from vendors like all these different things to prove that like i'm manufacturing the items here um for them to allocate like the ability for me to utilize them as a high-risk payment processor so 
like that's all kind of coming to fruition now. Our, uh, our hunting season opens on Saturday, which I mean, you and a lot of people know is like a very important time for me. Um, a lot of times in October and November, I actually don't really even work that much. I'm pretty much just hunting deer. And so like, this is one of those years where that's like, unfortunately, like not going to take priority, which is weird. Um, but yeah, I'm going to do whatever I can over the next four weeks to really try and get the shop in line. So the first two weeks of November, I can, uh, I can be out hunting as much as I want to. Like that's when, you know, the rut kicks off for the deer breeding and like, you know, that's like the, the prime time for like whitetail hunters. But all, unfortunately that's also like smack dab at the end of CCKS prep, you know, cause the show is November 12th. So it's like, yeah, I got my work cut out for me. I got to really start turning my gears and making sure that I'm utilizing my time as best as possible. Cause there ain't much to waste over the next seven weeks. Yeah. You're already back in show prep. I mean, kind of like where we started the podcast was basically at the same point for CCKS. Yeah, actually, so. you're right. Because, I mean, if you think about it, this is episode nine, so the show would have been episode seven. So seven weeks. That's exactly the point that I was at at that time, too. Yeah. So, yeah, I haven't even ordered material for anything yet. I think I'm doing all carbon fiber frames on this one. They were such a hit at uh, Maker Syndicate that I'm going to go with some different fat carbon patterns or I might use camo carbon. I'm not sure yet. But I think I'm going to bring all <clears throat> subliner frame configurations and just uh, uh, just belt satin blades again, just kind of my MO. And then I'm going to cut a blade out of this new billet of Performance Damascus we forged, and that's going to be my auction piece for the show. So I'd really like to, in an ideal, in a perfect world, all the 2.9 parts will be machined by the end of September, which they pretty much are all done. I'm actually doing the blades right now, prepping them for heat treat. But frames, liner inserts, backspacers, pocket clips are all finished. All the parts are made for all those 3.2s over there. So I'd like to wrap up these blades. And then on the 1st of October, I want to rededicate the VF2 to Mac production for the month of, you know, for delivery on November 1st. Which actually, this is almost a full complement of Mac projects. For the last couple of months, I've had guys like pausing projects and like, you know, delaying them just because they were like either in show prep or they were backed up. And I would just, I utilize that time. Like, yeah, that's fine. I'm doing show prep anyway. So if we want to cut back on that, but yeah, starting on October 1st, I'm going to have a full complement of Mac projects to manufacture. And I'm going to pretty much just try and do that in the VF2 and see if the VF2 on its own with the right schedule can handle all of Mac stuff for a month. And then I'm pretty much in the super mini mill. I'm going to be running components for, ccks and then while that cycle time's happening be finishing knives over here so i'm going to try and get as far ahead on the ccks knives as i possibly can before the end of november because i would love to like have everything assembled where i'm just grinding blades locks detents and finishes you know like at that halloween type time so that over the course of november the first two weeks of november before i fly out i can be hunting in the morning working in the middle of the day hunting in the evening, working at night, you know, just like take like 10 or 12 days of just like 14, 16 hour days to get my time in the tree, but also be finishing knives. So that's kind of like what my schedule looks like for the next like six or seven weeks. And, and I think it's going to work out, you know, we'll see, I guess. Nice. Yeah. It helps you got two spindles. For sure. That is a game changer, right? Like I forget, I, I look at that all the time for like a year and a half. I only had the super mini mill and you're kind of hamstrung. You're just like, you can stack up work as far out linearly as you want, but at the end of the day, you're just job after job. There's only so much you can do. Mm -hmm. You know, you had a second spindle and it completely changed my, I mean, obviously that's like obvious. 
that it would do that. But like, you don't really think about if you plan it right, you can get, I want to say, I, you probably don't get 200% more work done. Like, cause when you have one machine, you just keep it fed all the time. And there's such little downtime, you know, with two, I think you probably, I would say like are 70% more efficient than you were with one machine, you know, just cause you're creating downtime with cycle overlap and stuff. And like, you know, and I like, we used to do time studies at my old job. I don't know if you ever did these, like, Oh, every like day. actual, yeah. yeah, you know, actual yeah. spindle uptime assessments where it's like you're factoring, you know, parts time in between cycles, you're factoring in tool replacements, you're factoring in whatever programming changes you need to make. And then just like, how much time are you logged in? Are you getting paid for versus how much time is the spindle actually running? And I feel like our metric for like, you're doing really well was like 60 to 70%. If your spindle was running 60 or to 70% of your shift, Granted, this is like job shop style machining, not production, where I'm sure they want to be like 90% plus, where there's like so little downtime. But in a job shop style environment, we felt like if you were at like that 65% number, like that was a sustainable number that like was totally cool with them. So that's kind of like the number that I try and figure if I'm out here for 12 hours a day and I can work for, if I have the spindle running for eight, that's a pretty good day, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like we talked about too. I mean, it's just another tool in the shop too. So like for you, because you're doing the Mac stuff. I mean, obviously you want to have the machine running as much as possible. Um, but like for me, since I don't have any material for knife stuff, like machines only been on a little bit here and there because I was, I'm doing some slide stuff. I dropped off a bunch yesterday. I picked a bunch more up. Um, I was working on a little project for Hudson, uh, yesterday, which I might make a, a few more of. We talked about that a little bit. Um, Oh yeah. So other than that, I mean, the machine hasn't really been on too much really at all since, since, uh, we got back from makers. So. Uh, I'm going to probably run some stuff today. I have some spare tie that I'm going to use for those parts. And uh, I'm probably going to make a few more of them. They're cool. It's, uh, I mean, we talked about it a little bit. It's just a, you know, a titanium coin. Put a bunch of tool pass in it though and doing some kind of texture and 3D surfacing and stuff in it. Uh, mo most guys are just getting them uh, like die struck, you know, so there's a lot of cool detail in them, but it's all imported China stuff where they're doing them on a laser, which is cool too, but... Uh, it's not that cool. Do a full like machined machine coin i think would be cool it just complements all the stuff too and it's so but yeah i want to do some where it's just you know my logo on one side and i was thinking about it last night It'd be cool to kind of come up with something that's just like all of us pretty much all of us that were at the arcade and a couple other buddies and uh do something on one side that we can all do and then do our own thing on the other side individually um, i mean i agree man i it kind of reminds me of um like what you guys used to have at the old shop, what was it? The California knife maker C what was CKMU. it again? I can't remember. CK. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. California yeah. knife makers united or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, you kind of yeah, exactly same kind of thing would be cool. So throw that, throw that on one side and then we can each do whatever we want on the other side. It'd be, it'd be cool. It's just something to throw no, in photos, for sure. background, carry around. I know a lot of guys are nerds about coins. So <laughs> plus it's just I mean, another... honestly, like if you dial that in, you could start like making those for shows. You know what I mean? Even if it exactly, was the show's yeah. logo or whatever, like just an extra piece to go along with the knife. And I guarantee mm -hmm. you that like 90% of people that get a knife would buy a coin for like 75 or a hundred bucks. You know what I mean? Like, Oh yeah, I want that to go with this for yeah. sure. That was actually the plan that I had with all of the spare tie from the frames. I have 30 pieces. 
because I made 15 sets of frames, but I can only fit a coin that was like an inch and a quarter, which is kind of small, oh, gay. which is gay. So um, these are inch and three quarter, inch and three quarter, three sixteenths thick. And it's, you know, completely surfaced. The logo's all surfaced in there. The, it's hard to see kind of because there's no light right there. But anyways, there's You're a bunch of texture and tool like, and stuff. Just holding it like Sarah Jaws or Talons and then flipping it over in Soft Jaws or what? Yeah, so it's a quarter inch. It's quarter inch thick stock. Um, it finishes at three sixteenths. And uh, yeah, holding it Talons, adaptive to the outside, um, 2D contour to finish the profile face. And then I use an eighth inch ball mill. A ball and mill to do all of the the surfacing between the two circles um and then a uh it's like a five or seven thou radius single flute engraver to do the logo uh, and then a chamfer tool around the outside and then i flip it throw it in soft jaws and because it's square material i can throw a square on it and then keep their orientation so i was going back and forth between like orientation on this stuff because a lot of guys will do it kind of like a uh like an award um what the hell are those things called I'm drawing blanks metal? on everything today. Yeah, it's like a metal, basically, where it, if you rotate it around this direction, it's the same. But then you look at like a lot of U.S. coins, and they flip, you know, end over end, and that's how they're oriented. So I was kind of going back and forth between which way I want to do that. But anyways, because it's square material, I can just throw a stock on the other edge of the the jaws and then square up the carrier, and that makes it dead straight or straight enough, anyways, nice. for this. So um, I was going back and forth between just getting like two inch round bar and saw cutting it but then it's kind of harder to time everything when you flip it so square stuff's easy it makes the second side real easy for orientation so yeah just a little thing like these i could just keep a bunch of these running you know it's like a half hour cycle time for this as it is um and i could just have that running because i don't have anything else going on in the mill right now until i get more material so i was spending some time this week working on a bill of materials for all the datums um with some revisions, um, I was talking to Skiff quite a bit. And, uh, I, he sent me some sample bearings to test out. So I've got a few little revisions that I want to do. I'm going to stick with a, a, a 3 16 pivot, but use quarter inch bearings. Awesome. So that I can use, because the issue that I'm having right now on these uh, Rev NCs is that because there's so little contact in the frames with the pivot, I can grab the blade and yank on the blade and you can shear the frames a little bit because there's no actual support around the pivot. They're, they're captured, but because it's so thin, the, the pivot can skew a little bit. And that was, I think, the issue with that one um, datum that I held back, is that there just isn't enough contact in there. Maybe it's a big chamfer on the pivot or something. Uh, so it's real easy to shear the center line or the centering of the blade with that. But I think doing this, having the 316s through the whole thickness of the blade or through the frames, and then the bearing runs in a, a face groove around that, larger than that. Uh, it'll be a little bit more uh, stable in there for the pivot. So I think keeping that blade dead centered is going to be a lot more stable that way. So Great idea. I don't have Fusion up or anything right now or I'd share that. But um, yeah, we talked about it a little bit, I think, last week. So Yeah, Should I think cool. it's a big problem solver. I've always liked that. And that's been one of my main desires for the transient to switch it over to 316 and 256 was so that I could do that in the pivot area with a 316 pivot and then these quarter inch one millimeter bearings that you have that I've been using mm -hmm. they're great nice um, I think it solves a lot of a lot of problems and like definitely makes the the situation as a whole a lot more stable mm -hmm. yeah I, thankfully I originally designed it to run off of a quarter inch pivot so my stop pin is far enough away to where I can get these bearings and everything in there without intersecting the stop pin channel. 
or the track or anything. So I don't have to move the stop pin at all. I don't have to mess with any lock geometry. It's literally just modify the counterboard to be a face groove um, with slightly different diameters. So a little bit more um, involved machining. I can't just you know go in there and do a, a bore tool path with an eighth inch end mill. I got to actually go in with a sixteenth and you know helix down into it and then do the ID, do the OD, clean up the floor. But the uh, AKS quarter inch um, thrust washers for the bearings will fit into that pocket, and then these bearings will drop right on those. So it should still nice. work out. Plus, it'll allow me to thicken the if, because I'm going to one millimeter bearings from sixteenth. Um, I have like an extra. 23th hour or whatever it is so something like that um there's a little bit more meat in there for the, under the head so i don't actually have to make the heads smaller than 70 thou i'm still going to face them because the uh, usa knife maker the backs of the heads are not flat there's however they turned them they did them like dog shit so i got to basically go in and face the back side of those screws um but i want to continue to use those because they're t15s so how are you facing them? Like holding them in jaws and cutting the back side of it or what? Yeah, I have um I was thinking about doing that in the mill and just doing um a counterbore and then running a key seat in there or a a dovetail so that I can face that, but also put a little thread relief. Um, because nobody for whatever reason makes pivot screws with thread reliefs, which is retarded. Um so they all just basically run out and then there's a section of the of the screw that's not threaded and right into the head. But then all of the barrels have to go against the screw. So you have to put a big counter bore in there or a huge countersink where there's no threaded section. Um, so it's just a bunch of extra work in there, whether you're modifying the barrels or modifying the screws or something. Um, realistically, we just need to make more pivots like we did before. Those things were sweet. Dude, I honestly, I like loved those and I just mm -hmm. ran out. I had like, th I think I had like 300 of them made. Yeah, shit. I have you like know? two and sitting around somewhere. Yeah. Man. Yeah. I think I, what it, how many did I send you? Like fifty or something like that? I think it was only a few. I didn't have very many. Of them. Oh, okay, maybe ten. Yeah, yeah, it's a bummer, man. I actually hit up uh, the dude that made them the first mm -hmm. time, and he's so busy. It was like twelve weeks out, and they were like eight dollars a screw to have them turned. <laughs> and I was like, and then I, and that was with that, and I was machining the torques in them. If you know, for those first ones, I machined all yeah. the torques, and I was like. Yeah, I don't think so. That's a little bit, a little too much, man. But uh, I actually at the um, at the Maker Syndicate, I was talking to uh, um, Michael from uh, uh, Tactile. Um, why am I blanking on his last name? It's alliteration. Yeah, yeah. MM. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, and I was talking with him about hardware pricing, and I was like, dude, like you know, I'm making my monthly hardware orders, and it's like. 1500 bucks or 2000 bucks and i'm telling him how much stuff is and he's like dude we have a million swiss machines from the tactile turn side of stuff like we will make your hardware like we'll make your titanium 256s for like 55 cents a piece and i'm like i'm paying a buck 65 a piece right now and i'm like dude yeah. i'm using hundreds and hundreds of them a month like that would be wonderful so I got to hit him up and like, you know, I actually have to model a 256. I don't have a 256 model or anything. So I have to send them a, a solid model and let them quote it or whatever. But um, yeah, I think I'm going to like, I got to go through and standardize on all my, all the Mac stuff. I got to standardize counterbore depths so that mm -hmm. I can have like, I typically have two screw sizes. Like obviously the front screw that's further down the contour is a little bit shorter than the screw that's in the back. Like I, I want to say it's like one of them's like an eighth inch long threads and the other one is like 
five thirty seconds maybe or maybe three sixteenths. Either way, they're a different size. But I have like written on a piece of paper because every knife is a little different. Like in my screw cutter, how many half or quarter turns I have to back it off out of the <laughs> screw cutter so that I can cut it to length. And I'm like, this is fucking retarded. Like I need to sit here and standardize all this so that everything uses two screw lengths, have them made. Cause like, those are like where my big like time sinks are. Like if I'm sitting there and I'm cutting like three to 400 screws a month, like that's hours of time. If I'm sitting oh, there yeah. watching a Netflix show, screwing them in, screwing them out and like, and, and cutting them off. Then if like your bolt that holds the two sides of the screw cutter back off, that it shears instead of cuts. So then I'm going to go in there cause they have like, leave a burr or like a broken half of a screw and I have to load them in a pin vise and I have to sit there and I have to like chamfer the screw so that it doesn't bind up on the threads in the backspacer. So yep. <laughs> exactly. Just, just stare it. And like, that's funny is like, I've had people hit me up like, Oh, where can I get a pin vise? And I'm like, these are what I use, but they're like $80 a piece. Like I didn't pay that much for them. I don't think, but like get the SPI version on Amazon. They're like 15 bucks. You know what I mean? Like whatever. Yeah. But uh, I, dude, I use my pin vices. They are like my most used tool in the shop. Like I use them when I'm finishing knives for sizing stop pins. And people are like, how do you size stop pins? I'm like, I chuck it up in a stop in a in a pin vice, and I like go back and forth across the belt and count how many times one, <laughs> two, six, <laughs> with the same pressure. I can get them oh, to within shit. five thousandths of the same length with that method. Yeah. With like a 120 grip belt, like I'm pretty good at it, but it's still uh, stupid, dude. Like it's dumb. It's I, dumb. <laughs> I last night while the mill was running, I was shortening pivots because um, I got AKS pivots for the datums, but I ordered them with the heads on them because I was originally going to do an anti-rotation feature in there. And I uh -huh. ordered the ones that are domed head because it was the only thing they had. And I didn't realize it until they came. And, uh, and I'm like, these aren't even going to fucking work anyways. But luckily I ordered enough screws to where I can just put a screw on both sides. So I'm basically nice. cutting off I'm cutting off the heads on all of them and then I have to shorten them to length because I'm using them for the pivot side and for the pocket clip side. Mm. Uh, but yeah, last night I I couldn't remember how I shortened the first 10 when I did the other five datums or six and I'm looking around cuz I moved everything around in here so everything's like I know I did it right here. I was standing right here when I did it, but how the hell did I hold these things? And um I tried to do them in the bench vice and they would just move. I tried to do them in um, a cantus clamp and it popped out. I'm like, this is not how I did it. And I literally could not remember how I did it. And, uh, and I was using them in the drill. I put them in the Milwaukee drill, you know, three jaw chuck in there. And, and I ground the first few off on the belt, but there's so much material because that domed head on there is real thick. So they're getting red hot. And I'm like, this is going to fucking kill a heat treat on here. Um, so, but I have a little Milwaukee M12 little cutoff and, uh, so I was cutting the heads off last night and then I had maybe 10 of them and I'm like, I should probably measure these things just to see, I make sure I'm not going too short on them. And, uh, like you said, literally every single one of them was within five thou, which was crazy. Cause I would just throw them in there. I'd cut the head off and then I'd throw a chamfer on the belt and then flatten the face of it a little bit, just so there wasn't a big burr. That way I can stick them through the knife dogs pivot lapper, you know, and square them up. And, uh, but yeah, it's wild doing that kind of stuff. There, there's all kinds of things where I'll throw something in the drill and shorten it, or I'll put stuff on the saw and cut it and whatever. And it's always seems to be very surprisingly consistent. Dude, the freakiest yeah. thing is like, and I'm sure you've experienced this is like you put a vice in the machine for the first time it's and you like indicate the jaw and it's dead straight within a 10th. And you're like, yeah. 
is my indicator bottomed out or broken yeah. <laughs> or like how did i get this thing in the machine like one ten straight over six inches or whatever mm -hmm. i remember like because of my my old job i indicated in everything i was working on magnets with rails but like i still indicated things straight all the time just to be safe and like probably two or three times a year out of thousands and thousands of parts that i would load into the machine like that would it just be like deadly perfect and it's like yeah that's like you gotta go buy a lottery ticket when that happens or yeah, something it's satisfying i'm still so stoked on those indicators you sent me years ago because i've always had inner rapid stuff i've got a one tenth and a five tenths but i honestly never use my five tenths anymore the only reason i have it in there is because my one tenth is getting sticky i gotta send mm -hmm. it out to precision instrument repair and have them check it out um but i have the 50 millionths one that you sent me and that one just lives in the noga that i got up there and i, I use that one literally 50 millionths for everything devices which is kind of shitty because you start seeing all the little waves in the surface grinding on the jaws. So it's like, this thing is as straight as I could possibly make it. The only error that I'm seeing is because the damn thing's not ground flat. Um, yep. 50 million indicators don't lie, man. They show all imperfections, but yeah. Even I mean, honestly, it keeps Go ahead. Go ahead. I would say even indicating styli on like the render shop probe tips, you can see the ball being slightly out of round. There's little flat spots around it. Um, I just swapped all my stuff out to three millimeter um, styli from Qmark. So they're actually local and I got a bunch of speedios and I got a couple buddies that work over there. So real, real cool guys, but they have everything and they'll actually make you styli, custom styli, I think like same really? day. Yeah. Whatever you need, they'll send it. They'll, they'll make it um, length, diameter, shaft diameter, shaft material, ball diameters, ball materials, literally whatever you need. So nice. um, yeah. What's the it's, protocol for, I honestly don't remember like, so, when you are setting up a new probe tip, you just indicate it in with the set screws so that it's running true. And then there's uh -huh. a sequence that, like, how do you tell it what size ball you're using? Is there just like a sequence that you run? Oh, wow. Yeah, Q marks. And same day, they'll ship stuff. If you order it between before noon, they'll ship it out same day. I had it next day. Um, how I'm much always, are they? Like 100 they're bucks? Like, no, they're, they're actually um, quite a bit less than that. I think they're like 60 bucks, 50 to 70, depending on length and Damn. material and all that. Um, I think the one that I got was like 45 or $54, something like that. Um, Damn. yeah. So on Haas, you, there's no section on there to tell it what the ball size is. Um, you just go through in the VPS, um, there's a calibration sequence. So you can either do like complete calibration if you're going to do the spindle probe and the tool setter together. Um, uh, and that uses the actual diameter of the stylus on your tool setter, uh, to, they basically calibrate each other. Um, but okay. I use the separate one. There's another one where it's individual calibration, where you calibrate the length of your tool setter first. So you have to have a master uh, gauge length tool or something with a known gauge length. Uh, you position it over the stylus of the tool setter. You run that calibration and it basically, you tell it what the stylus length is and what the stylus diameter is for the, the calibration tool length, gauge length and diameter. Um, and it touches off the length and then it touches off the diameter on your tool setter. And that, sets the variables in the control for the location of the tool setter, like the trigger point and the diameter of it. So if you're ever touching off diameter of tools, which I never do. Um, so does anybody actually do that? <laughs> I, I know some people who do it, but I don't know. I don't see the benefit of it, honestly. Um, there, yeah, it doesn't take into account deflection. It doesn't take into account anything like in real world cutting conditions. So it'll get, it'll get you pretty close, but, uh, it's not enough for me to just put a tool in there and touch it off and expect something to be dead nut zero every time. So I don't, I, just, not, I don't even I just mic them. Yeah. Or just cut a feature and measure it and then make your adjustment. Um, yeah. 
I think that's the most reliable way to do it. Like even like offline tool setting and stuff, like that doesn't take into account any run out that your spindle might have or anything. So, and, and you run the risk of fat fingering that offset when you type it into the control. So I think it's dangerous and it's a lot more work than just sticking a tool in there and just running the tools to touch off program. Yeah, um, I agree. But yeah, for your stylus on your, on your spindle probe, then you tell it, you basically touch off the length in the calibration program. And that just sets, it sets the length of the, the probe with the stylus in the, in the uh, tool offsets page, but it also sets the variables. So it knows the actual gauge length of that. Um, and then you run it on a ring gauge and then you tell it what the ring gauge diameter is. So for mine, I have a, a two inch ring gauge. That's exactly two inches to like six decimals. Um, so you just put in there, it's a two inch ring. You put it on the table on a magnet, and then it just runs that until it, it reads two inches basically. Uh, and that's how it, it, uh, knows what the ball diameter is, what the radius is and what the, uh, run out is by running that calibration cycle. So it just basically probes, you know, the quadrants multiple times, and then it rotates and does the same thing a bunch of times until it gets a two inch reading or whatever your ring gauge is. So because it rotates 180, it knows how much it's off from center line of the spindle. So, but I, I indicated, nice. anyways, I was saying I indicated with that 50 millionths indicator and I got no, there's zero TIR that I could even detect on there. That's why yeah. I posted that and everybody's like, oh, half a tenth, that's great. I'm like, this is 50 millions. Or, uh, they're like, no, yes. uh, half a thou, five tenths, you know, five tenths, that's great. I'm like, no, this is 10 times tighter than that. This is 10X, 10X yeah. that. Oh, so. for people that don't know, TIR, total indicator run out. Yeah. Um, that's pretty standard terminology but some people wouldn't know what that meant which is yeah, just yeah. when you're indicating a feature it's not just one side it's how much the indicator moves positive and negative like on a feature that's running out so you can get the total run out of whatever you're checking so anyways yeah anyways it's pretty max. yeah straightforward process on there so it was quick just throw it in indicate it and run the calibration cycle and now i have now that i finished all the datum stuff i have a three millimeter probe <laughs> I indicated all Honestly, those things the freaking indicator before it took forever. So, dude, I was just cutting blades yesterday and I swept in 20 pivots when I was cutting pivot diameters. And I'm like, I need to get a smaller probe tip. Even, even if I didn't have a program made that like came over, ran down just to be able to call up G90, G59, G0, X0, Y0, bring it down and run the cycle. Even if I had to do that manually without hmm. loading in an indicator moving it out yeah just if i could just indicate the pivot holes it would make that job so much less tedious <gasps> yeah and so i need to uh i need to do that i need to prioritize that yeah when i did it uh before i got the small one on here when i had to indicate the, i had to recut the tab hole on the blades because the the magna cut grew in heat treat yep uh, so i had to slot the front tab hole so i cut i cut uh soft jaws and i just dropped those in i'd indicate the pivot hole and then it would just slot the front um uh, what I did in the beginning of that program was I just wrote uh, a line right at the beginning, hit cycle start. It calls up an empty pot uh, in this one. It was just, you know, tool three, whatever. So it called up an empty pot and then it would GOG 90 X zero Y zero, whatever, say G 54. So it would move the table to center of where it was originally and it would call up the empty pot. So I would just take the, the tool with the indicator and throw it in, jog it down, indicate reset, and then keep going. Uh, so at least it was automating that part. I didn't have to go into MDI and do anything. It was automatically bringing it to the last known location. Uh, and then after I ran so many of them, it was just zero, you know, so I had stopped doing it. But uh, yeah, trying. I just put all that stuff in the program and it 
kind of handled all that. But yeah, having the probe in there now is going to be so much better. Love it, dude. That's a huge improvement. I definitely need to look at QMark's website and, and grab something. I have a couple of probe tips over here. I don't know. I think that one of them is a three millimeter, might be a four. I'm not sure. I have them sitting over there. I have to check it out. But yeah, I'll send you actual the actual probe tips. I'll send you the um, part number for it too. They sent me a two millimeter one as well. Um, that's a little too fuck, small. It's small, dude. It's, it's for me, I think it's way too small. I mean, the, I mean the, there's like the a shank on it, get, it is tiny. So you get a, yeah, you get a little burr. Exactly. At all, and the shank's going to hit it, not the probe tip. So exactly. that's a little little too small. But it's nice that I got it, though, just in case. So, um, And I still have my 6 mil, too, so if anything does smash or whatever. But the yeah, Halo, backups. Yeah, the Halo fit on it and everything, so that was nice. Sick, dude. Um, so what so, do you have going on the rest of the week? You know, I kind of just detailed my entire next seven weeks of existence. <laughs> you know, what do you have going on for the next yeah. couple of days before the weekends? Yeah, I'm going to try and finish up uh, more of these datums. So I shortened all the pivots last night. I need to flat sand the rest of the blades. There's just 10 more, uh, nine or 10 more. I need to flat sand the flats on them. I might hand rub the primaries. Um, I had one guy that bought one at Makers and he was like, hey, what's this little mark on the blade? And it was just, you know, feed lines um, from the end mill because I didn't do any resurfacing on the blades aside from flat sanding or line graining the flats. Um, so moving forward, I might, I might start to line grain some of the primaries, even though they look pretty good. There's a little witness on there above the finger choil. Yeah, anytime you cut uh -huh. like a, a wall with it with an interruption on it, whatever your flute spacing is, you see that same shape right above it from the flutes because your deflection's changing. Um, so yep. there's a there's a slight a very small little arc that you can see if you look just in the right light. Um, that is the same shape as the the finger choil or the sharpening choil up the spacing of the flute from that end mill. Oh. Um, so I can see that a little bit. It's it's minor, but it's there. Um, so I might, uh, I might sand some of these primaries just to get some of that little stuff out. Uh, plus I think it'll look nice too. And then line grain the flats kind of basically, you know, hand rub, quote unquote, hand rub. I just hate that term, but line, I'm going to basically line grain everything. Um, yep, exactly. I need to get a, I need to I get a shower door or whatever. Like, uh, Mike, key bar's got, that was like, you, uh, two by 72 cut and, I think they does like spray adhesive or something on the back of it and sticks it on a big door. So you got this like 72 inch long belt. You could just walk next to and line grain. Look kind of cool. That's you don't get the, any. That's the move right there. Yeah. Maybe one of these workbenches will stick a two by 72 on it flat. You don't get any J's little J's from sanding. Little so, swaggles. Yeah. yeah. I have a nice, my biggest surface plate here is 36 inches. Mm -hmm. yeah, so, same. you know, you know, if I had something, a long piece of, you know, like a belt or something that would work. I never really thought to do that, but it could work. Yeah, it'd be cool. You could probably hang a weight off the end of it too if you attach on one side and keep some tension on it. I try not to yeah. sand on my granite plate. I have a small one that I just use for sanding. That's all I use it for, but I occasionally, because I have this 24 by 36 standards right here, I sometimes sand on it, but I try to avoid that as much as possible and throw a hole in it. All I can say is I have indicated... Like it, if I think about my last job where we had our surface plates resurfaced every year and I would have my indicator bait, my surface gauges with indicators set up where obviously you're swirling that all the time to make sure you don't have grit underneath or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then I would sit there and indicate parts over and I mean, ten, thousands, 10,000 parts a year in like the same six positions underneath indicators. And like, I think the worst I ever had was like a one tenth hole. Oh yeah. So I mean, obviously, if you're sitting there, like, sanding a shitload of parts mm -hmm. over and over again, 
but I mean, you're, I mean, could it be more than a couple of tents? I mean, I guess if you don't actually get your surface place plates refinished after like five years, it could be a thousandths or something, you know, which probably would mm-hmm. defeat the purpose of the of the uh, the surface plate. But I mean, how many people in a home shop actually sit there and indicate parts on a surface plate, anyways? Probably you know not. What any. I mean, like, not. I, very I think many. most people is, uh, you know, especially in the knife scene, it seems like don't really have a lot of like real world inspection, inspection. experience. Um, you know, you see guys miking a blade and they'll mic five spots. Oh, this thing is flat. It's like, that's literally not flatness. <laughs> that's not how that's, that works at all. Just parallelism. Yeah. Like it's so, yeah, there's, I think there's a lot of misconceptions on actual, um, inspection techniques that should be something that we should probably dive into at some point. You see even guys doing like videos on Instagram talking about GD and T and stuff. It's like, you guys have no idea what you're talking about. Um, I mean, you know what the you know what the classic one is is mixing up fucking t- clearance with tolerance. Like, yeah, it's that, not like the same. it grinds my gears. Like, it makes me, it makes me like cringe when some like, man, like that guy has really his tolerances are so good, and I'm like, good is not a measurement of tolerance. Like that couldn't be. First of all, you're talking about clearance between mm-hmm. the blade and the frames, and a tolerance is a number. Like it's not an adjective that like describes something like yeah. it's how much plus or minus can a dimension be and still be acceptable. Like mm-hmm. it's not, you know, and it's just funny. Like there's so many people that like miss misuse that term. And it like, I used to like correct. I used to like actively post on everything I saw. You mean clearances with an asterisk. And like, eventually I just gave up. It's like, you know, it's what? Not worth I it. cannot affect cha- I cannot affect change here. You yeah. guys sound dumb to people that don't know what they're talking, you know, that know what they're talking about. And if you're okay with that, then like, whatever, whatever I don't yeah. care. Yeah. I try not to get too involved in that stuff anymore. But you so. know, that's like one of those ones that's just so egregious. Like, I feel like I see it multiple times a week. It just like wore me down. You know what I mean? It just, mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyways, that was yeah. me just being a petty asshole. That's grumpy old 36 year old <laughs> dad mode coming out. Yeah. We're almost but, 40. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Don't remind me, man. I know. So yeah, flat sand blades. I got to, I need to blast everything. Uh, my blaster was kind of sucking the, the couple nights before uh, makers. So that was kind of one reason why I only brought a few knives just because blasting was taking so damn long. Um, is your, is your media just clapped out or your filter clogged? Or it's what? really fine glass uh, bead. So it, it's not, it's not aggressive obviously at all, but it leaves a great finish. I mean, I think this, I think the finish on the knives looks amazing. Um, you know, personally, I think it looks really good. I have one here that's done this one. So, you know, basically all hand rubbed aside from the primaries, obviously, but the flats are hand rubbed, uh, line grained, and then frames, pocket clip, and the inset lock bar are glass beaded. Um, and I think it looks really good. Um, so I want to do that on, pretty much all of them there's a couple guys that want just raw kind of burnished just a shiny kind of wear high wear a bowl uh, finish on there so i might leave a couple of them but i think i'm going to probably do like eight of them this finish and then two of them just burnished kind of bright finish nice um but yeah it was taking a while to blast stuff especially for whatever reason the uh the lock bars um primarily where i heat where i had to heat them so you know that surface gets so damn hard from getting red hot uh blasting off the discoloration for whatever reason was taking a long time on those. So I moved the cabinet a little bit, um, threw a bigger airline on it. That was probably some of it too. I just wasn't getting a lot of CFM into it. And, uh, even though I have an air dryer, I think I did, I didn't, I probably didn't have the air dryer on or anything. So there was probably moisture in the line too. It was just getting clogged. So 
Should be gotcha. better. I used it a little bit on the coin and stuff yesterday, and it was actually working really fast. So nice, dude. Try and blast I, uh, through that. I just uh, overhauled, not overhauled, but I put new gloves on my blaster because I had holes in my fingers. Yeah. And I yeah. also, um, I was listening to Lucas Burnley on the Edge and Flow podcast talk about mm-hmm. he has a Trinco TP20 Model 20 like I do. He has two of them. I wish I had a second one. But um, he put a DeWalt shot back um, filter on the inside of the bag where it comes into the, into the, um, the vacuum chamber. And that in complement or complementing the cloth filter that they include he said that it like completely you know changed like the quality of his dust collection so i did that and i also changed like the screen cover the plastic screen cover on the inside of the glass Mm -hmm. and like i feel like i'm a new man blasting like i don't know why i was like i was like blasting into a fucking sandstorm bro like i might as well like i was just like like uh, i think i'm getting it you know like all that shit and then like i'll take the parts out like wow that's horrible put that back in big old spot yeah and uh yeah redo that and um so yeah i made all of those changes and like these last like few parts that i blasted were like game changingly easier to do the only thing we talked about this in a previous episode but like the only thing else that i could do is get a new unit because like i'm pretty obviously i'm pretty broad shouldered and like when i'm in the trinko i literally am holding like this like i'm compressing my shoulders to get my arms into the holes and like it's so uncomfortable and like i just want to get like a scat blast cabinet or something like a 36 inch width cabinet mm-hmm. that i can just comfortably like post up in and blast because i'm like like when i was blasting all the stuff for makers like four or five knives with like titanium frames and titanium lock in lock bar inserts plus all the hardware and like pocket clips and backspacers like and just blasting everything it was so i find that like it's something i dread Mm -hmm. and i like try and take mental note of like what those things are because i find that like if i make small quality of life improvements to the processes that suck the most my time here as an overall is like way more enjoyable if i can like decrease the shit factor of the things i dread doing like I don't dread them anymore. So that is like one of those things where I'm like, this is something that is continue, like kind of like the probe tip, you know, like if I think about, I hate machining blades. Why do I hate machining blades? Cause I have to machine the pivot holes. Why do I hate machining pivot holes? Cause I hate sweeping the fucking holes in. Okay. I need to change that, you know, mm-hmm. or like, what do I hate about the super mini mill the most? Like the fact that all of my finds get into the chip tank, the coolant tank, cause it's not, it's integrated. How do I improve that process of cleaning that out? Okay. I got a Freddy. Yeah. It was $4,000, but like, it like, okay, now I no longer twice a month when I completely clean my coolant out, do I dread doing that? Cause I have an easier way to do it. So the blast cabinet is just another one of like a long list of things that like I need to improve so that like, there's nothing that I hate doing out here. Yeah. Your blaster doesn't have a tumbler in it, does it? No, I wish that it did. Uh, the only one that I've ever seen is um, Oz has that when I was at his shop, he had just gotten the, the tumbling unit so that he could, so it doesn't work that great on profiles but it works well on flat parts so like mm-hmm. they would go through and blast the profiles and then tumble blast like the big flat areas and he had luck with that so nice so there's a company uh it's gimbal automation they're out here in la they're making a small tumbler that you can just stick in any blast cabinet now um, nice so i i mean it would be perfect i think for like pocket clips and small stuff um probably work for frames if you only put one or a couple in there uh, the only concern that I have is just tumbling a bunch of parts in there and they're banging on each other. Uh, That's where I come into it. It's like, aren't they going to skive and scratch each other? It's like the same thing when you're 
tumbling in the tumbler. You get like errant scratch marks. You have to be so careful how you remove mm. them because like you pulling them like in grading media can cause scratches, you know? Yeah, exactly. But that'd be something to look into because I mean, you could even just blast the bulk of it. And then if you have any stray scratches or anything, you can always hit those little spots manually if you need to. Um, I'll stick a lip, uh, link in the description for that stuff. They're actually making a lot of really cool stuff. They're doing spindle grippers um, and just a bunch of like kind of light automation stuff that you can stick in your machines, even in your mini mill and stuff too, or ones you don't have um, coolant through prep. So, uh, nice yeah that tumbler is pretty sweet uh, and then yeah so i was listening to have you listened to lean built at all yet with pearson and henry no andrew henry i saw you posted um, that um i i can appreciate that dude and i like watching jay's videos and mm-hmm. andrew andrew henry right that's his name yeah. mm-hmm. he is a wealth of information but i just wish he would lighten up a little bit you know what i mean <laughs> like he's just so like he's, he's so to the point, like, like he's yeah. intense, like as, as intense as a guy that has dedicated his life to lean manufacturing can be, mm-hmm. you know? And like, I don't like, th- I don't know if he laughs, like, does he laugh? Does he, you know, I don't yeah, know if he does. Yeah. No, he's and cool. So, like, he's I'm like, man, yeah. I'm, I want to listen to the podcast, but I'm like, do I want to listen to it? I don't know. I feel like you're getting oh. scolded the whole time. No, he's cool. I talked to, yeah. fre- talk to him pretty frequently. He's a, he's a good guy. Uh, but yeah, they, he made a point on here where, uh, you know, lean stuff's not so much about just making a shitty process just easier. It's figuring out a way to just eliminate it entirely with your process. Yeah. You know, whatever it is where it's like, yeah, you could do something that sucks as fast and as efficient as possible, but if you could just not have to do it at all, that's the goal. So, uh, you know, it sucks that doing like a brush research, NAM power brushes and stuff don't really give you the same finish as like a nice glass bead. Uh, they'll do all the deburring and stuff necessary, I think, for knife stuff. But yeah, I think blasting is just one of those processes is kind of just necessary, but it's going to suck regardless. But making your tumbler fun to use is a bunch better. I, I had a small uh, Harbor Freight tumbler years ago and I did a bunch of shit to it. And I actually had one of the smallest Harbor Freight tumblers the little five pound one mm-hmm. or whatever, but the screw on it busted. So I couldn't put a bowl on it, but I actually mounted it to the side of the, the blaster. So I could turn that on and it would vibrate all the media. So the media was loose. It was constant. That's the media cool. was constantly rolling and loose and it flowed so good. I never had any spots where it was, uh, it wasn't sucking up media or anything. So that was like a huge upgrade, but it sucked mm-hmm. using it. Cause you're just fucking vibrating the whole time, you know, just standing there for an hour, Dude. just shaking your bones. I think that I can, I come up with the perfect solution to the problem to what we're discussing. And that's to hire somebody to do all my sandblasting. Somebody here that sizes my, yeah, Hudson, where are you at? No, I need, I'll pay somebody (laughs) good money to size my hardware, to deburr my hardware, to size my pivot barrels and to blast all of my parts. If that's Mm. you hit me up, you live in Erie, Pennsylvania and you want to make 20 bucks an hour to do this stuff. You want to be my Tobe. You can come in here and do that work. Yeah. Hit me up. I think that's why the datums have taken so long this week to finish because I literally have to blast. I got to shorten hardware. I got to flat sand the blades and I got to sharpen. And I don't like doing any of those. Like for making knives, <sighs> perhaps, I hate sharpening. It sucks. It's because um, you don't have a good way to do it. That I was, I was in the same boat it. until yeah. I, it's like the thing that like, it's the final thing you do. You're sick of the knife by this point. You're ready to ship it out. And it like can completely destroy the knife. Yep. Like it can make the knife look like amateur hour if you don't do it right. Or if you roll up the blade and scuff it, or if you ride the heel of the blade into the finger choil and you get the edge that glances up and you're like, now I got to make my finger choil really big to hide that ugliness. Or like, 
you overheat the tip and like now it's discolored and you have no way to like, you know, there's so many things that can go wrong if you're not like having a dialed setup and like the AMK is not perfect, but I'm proficient enough with it to where it suits my needs. But I definitely want to get the Broadbeck version that has the bigger belts and a contact wheel and a better guide system. And it's a little bit bigger and more robust and like it has a nice VFD and a good NEMA motor or NEMA VFD and a good motor instead of an open sewing machine motor that has like a shitty VFD. It's just like, there's <laughs> yeah. so many hack things about the AMK version where I'm like, I need to upgrade this. And I, yeah, it'll be sweet when I do, cause I'll appreciate the change. And then yeah. I'll just give you my AMK. That's what we'll do. I'll get the Broadbeck and I'll give you the AMK and you can cut your teeth on that thing. And then you can nice. upgrade eventually too. Send it with that rotary. Yeah. I mean, it's rotary like cut your, back here. I'll mill your blades. Honestly, like you guys hear, heard it here first. If that's something you sincerely want to do, like I would be so game to send that off to you, pack it up in a crate and send it off to you. Cause I will literally probably never use it, even though I should. And like, I know you'll use it. It's just a question of, do you want to dedicate the table space to it? You know what I mean? And yeah, if you feel I don't like mind. you do, then. Yeah, I'm pretty, I'm kind of on the fence. Like, I like having 30 inches of X in here, but at the same time, I would prefer to have an A-axis too, especially since I'm kicking blades on angles and doing all that. Um, I mean, for my stuff, because I'm only doing one would angle on the primaries the on these. extension? Yeah, I would hang it off the side. So I just build, um, would you just get build the a Pearson, subplate. Would you get the Pearson version or would you you'd buy the subplate or what would you build it? I'd probably just make one. The Pearson one's cool though. So, I mean, it depends, you know, if, if I want to spend the time and cash on material to make my own or just buy the Pearson one, but it would essentially be like what Pearson's doing. I think pretty sweet. What would you do for like a tombstone? Like, would you make one? Would you just like, what would you, what do you think you would do? Uh, probably do some kind of rock lock 96 millimeter pattern, just so it's somewhat universal. Um, I've made a ton of little tombstones for those just over the years for Nick and ones, primarily Nick and brother ones, uh, rotaries, um, but yeah, most likely just make something for it. Just make a little tombstone. Um, but ideally be mounted on like a 96 millimeter faceplate, like a Lang or fifth axis one or something. Just a manual. You let me know when that makes the most sense for you. You know what I mean? Because obviously you have to get the fourth axis drive and yeah. there's a few ancillary things you have to take care of. But like when you feel like you're in a position to, to do that, like let me know. I'll build this a crate for this thing and ship it out. Should no, I be think twice about it. Yeah, that'd be I cool. Literally I'd literally sitting on a cart behind the machine and like <laughs> I get annoyed walking by. It's like because my machine's like 30 inches off the back wall and that cart is like 24 inches wide. And like there's a little area where like I'm obviously not a small guy and I have to like squeeze back. I'm just like, I got to get this thing the fuck out of here. I like, yeah, send it over. I am so crammed into this shop, man. Like everywhere I go, I'm turning sideways trying to be like a piece of paper to get around things. Like, and I am just. I'm just over it. And like, yeah, I need to add on in the worst way. And like, if in the meantime, I can get some things out of here that are occupying space, like, and obviously like that makes sense. Like, you know, you could make some good money doing it, like whether it's for me or from other people. And like, if that's something that I could remo remove from my plate, it would free me up in a way that I would really appreciate. So let's yeah. definitely make Shoot that happen. it over man. whenever. Yeah, it's annoying that cool. Pause doesn't allow you to just move drives and shit to another machine. You have to buy the kit. You have yeah. to buy that option. It's so stupid. It's like I got a quote for it. It was like forty two hundred bucks, 
because they have to come here and install it. It's like, dude, I've installed hundreds of fucking rotaries on Brothers before. I don't need you guys to come here and plug this thing in. Um, no. And it's so stupid because like you could pull your your drive and all your wiring out of your machine and send it with it. And I could put it in here, but they still require you to buy new ones because you just need that activation code. It's like I could put yours in here, buy the whole kit, not even use those parts, and all they have to do is put the code in. It's the same thing. There should really be an option to just, or even just not have that stupid option at all and just be able to use a rotary, turn it on and off with the well, parameter. Even if, they, if they're like, we need to make money, like make it a thousand bucks with your own hardware. Whatever. You yeah, know what I mean? Something, like, yeah. Make it a manageable amount that's like, okay, we'll pay your fucking tax, Kim Jong Haws. Exactly. You know, and like, yeah. you know, you can get your money, but like now this other drive card is just going to sit doing nothing. Exactly. In the machine. It's like, a waste. It's literally wasted hardware. Yeah, that's you what know, I told so, my HFO. I'm like, this is a fucking waste of money. It's a waste of resources. It's a waste of money. Like, if I'm going to get the rotary from him, he doesn't need the drive and wiring. He can just pull it out and send it with it. You know, but anyways, they they won't budge on it. They won't budge on anything. And they, most of the time, even when I hit them up with questions, they don't even respond. It's, it's extremely frustrating. Facebook groups, yeah, HFO, Haas Direct, like, very simple questions about stuff. Um, I mean, for me, at least, it seems like. I would imagine that they would be simple questions for, like, somebody who's not you know, retarded. Um, and you would think that most apps or service guys wouldn't be, but, uh, they don't even want to entertain the questions. It's annoying. So that's their fatal flaw for sure. Yeah. Is their like their service sucks. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, it's domestic, but like you're paying 200 bucks to get us there and at least 200 bucks for an hour for no matter anything you want. Like, Oh cool. I got like 400 bucks on fire, no matter what it is. Yeah. And they oh, want you're, you're booked out, you're booked out for a month. So like you can't even get here. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of frustrating because a lot of people, oh yeah, Haas has the best service. Like, no, they have like 800 vans because they need that many people doing service on shit. It's that's not a, I don't think that's a plus. It's not yeah. a plus. Yeah, but well, cool, man. Anyways, I just figured, um, figured that makes the most sense. But yeah, sounds like you have a busy week ahead. You can stay, yeah. stay moving and shaking, and uh, you know, September's gonna or October's gonna be a good month for you. I think it's gonna be for me too. I'm looking forward to. Seeing you, for those that don't know, I asked Ken if he would hang out at my table with me uh, for CCKS, so all of you guys will be able to come up and introduce yourselves to him and uh, get some FaceTime with him at the show. Thank you very much for coming and backing me up, because uh, that will be of great service to me. Um, so yeah, here's to that. I mean, more or less, I think that the next seven weeks are going to be Ken sharing about his continued... Uh, attempts to perfect the manufacturing and assembly process of the datum. It'll be me talking about uh, Mac transitions and more show prep. And uh, I think we are going to try and get some guys on here in the not too distant future. We are going to get another mic and start sending it out. Um, I think you guys pretty much got your fill of us talking about the pre-show jitters in our process and uh, in, in an attempt to continue to keep you guys in, engaged and entertained. We want to start to have some of our friends on here so that we can talk about maybe some um, variability in their manufacturing processes or, um, you know, just a little bit of background information about what their expansion plans are so that we can kind of continue to feed off of each other, both from uh, a parts manufacturing perspective and a business development perspective. Um, I think getting guys on and getting a fresh point of view is both entertaining to you guys, the listeners, as well as motivating to us, the machinists. So. Yeah, that very should much be looking cool. forward to it. Yeah, I think it'll be good. Definitely want to get Alex on here, try and get Yoni on here if he's got time, and it should be good. Primarily guys that are doing Hell the yeah, same man. thing, some machinists and making knife stuff. So cool, love it, man. 
Sweet well, cool, dude. man. I hope you have you a good week. Uh, yeah. It's two thirty now, and we got a bunch more hours left in the day. So I hope you kill it, and yes, I plan sir. on checking in with you next week. Cool, dude. All right, man. Later. Sweet, dude. Peace out. Bye.